My name is Marcellus Casey. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and um, I'm, I'm really glad to be here. One of the reasons why I'm glad to be here, if you've been here for a few years or you've heard me preach like in the past like six to nine months, like I actually get a, a passage today that's not super awkward to preach. So Pastor Christian, like he's giving me some tough stuff to preach, but today I get to preach about the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really happy about that. Um, I see a lot of you got your Chiefs jerseys on. It's a beautiful thing. I'm going to need you to sit down, sir. It's not time to say, oh, you want to get saved. Is that what's happening? You want to know Jesus. God loves Raiders fans too. We can do this right now. You don't got to wait till the end of the service. Somebody want to give up a Chiefs jersey, give this man a free Bible, We'll do it right now. Somebody, somebody in the last service was sitting right up here with some Lions jerseys on, and uh, very, very disrespectful. Um, but God is good. People ask, so, so um, I'm in my seventh season as the chaplain with the Kansas City Chiefs, and I also pastor a church um, down in the inner city, and I have a boxing gym. My wife and I do a lot of ministry uh, down in the city. And people ask me all the time, like, does God care about football? Like, do you pray for the Chiefs to win? Or do you think that God cares? And I, I firmly believe that he does. I pray for wins all the time. I pray for our guys because I see how much they invest their lives into what they do. And we serve a, a beautiful and a powerful God who gave us recreation. Like, he didn't make life boring. He didn't just like, hey, you're going to wake up every day and sing songs and, and just you know, sit in church all day. Like, God gave us jobs. He gave us vocations. He gave us desires. He gave us passions. He, he gave us zeal and energy. And, like, it's fun to express that in recreation. Like, God gave us sports. He gave us competition. And it's one of the ways that we actually um, mirror the image of God and worship him with our lives, whether you're a fan, a player, or a coach. And, it, and it's something that I've always really enjoyed being a part of. Uh, so one of the things with our coaches and with our players that I encourage them to do is to, to live that out with excellence. Like, give your life to what you do. Like, I, I tell our guys all the time, like, God's not going to be more in love with you when you become a missionary or if you become a pastor. Like, God loves what you're doing with your life right now. So if you're a teacher, if you own a business, if you're in the corporate world, if you're a bus driver, if you're a janitor, and you love God and you give your heart wholeheartedly to what he's given you to do, God is with you. And he loves it. And, he, and he's a huge part of it. Um, so I appreciate all that you guys um, pour into um, me and pour into our team. Um, as, I, as I've been a part of Journey Church and, and preaching out here for the last couple of years, I've really felt a partnership from you all as a church. And I really appreciate that, you know, our, our, some of our players that come here regularly or, or pop in and out and visit, that you guys always treat that as, as a sacred thing. And I appreciate that you guys don't ask for autographs and pictures and all that, but treat this as a place where guys can come and get baptized or come and connect with God um, in, in, in a relationship with him and not just as what they do. So I appreciate you all partnering with me in that and partnering with my wife, who also uh, does a lot of ministry with the coaches and players' wives and, and girlfriends and things like that. Uh, so it's my joy to, to preach from Matthew chapter 28, and we're talking today about the resurrection. 
And it's a fun passage to preach because we get to look at how people respond to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we'll see three people's reactions. We'll see um, the soldiers who were there at the empty tomb. We'll see the religious leaders who got news of Jesus' resurrection. And then we'll look at the women that first saw Jesus as he was resurrected. So I'm going to read from Matthew 28, and we're going we're gonna to dig into our text today, okay? Matthew 28, verse 1, it says this. It says, After the Sabbath... The first day of the week was dawning. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the woman, don't be afraid, because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come and see the places where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he is risen from the dead, and indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb, with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then, Jesus met them and said, greetings. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. As they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. After the priests had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them, say this, his disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. If this reaches the governor's ears, we'll deal with him and keep you out of trouble. The soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been spread among Jewish people to this day. So when we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, like all throughout history, like people have studied the historicity of Jesus' life. Is he a person that actually existed? This first century Palestinian man who lived, who taught, and is he who he says he is? Like, is he the resurrected king? There's actually a ton of people throughout history who have refuted the resurrection. Like, you can still look up articles. There's, there's articles that come out, New York Times, National Geographic, CNN, whatever, like, that will refute the resurrection of Jesus. It's still a hot topic of our day. People that don't want to believe the fact that Jesus resurrected. At the same time, there are others who have based their lives around their faith in the resurrection of Jesus. Many of us in this room claim that that's true, that Jesus was all the way dead. He wasn't just unconscious. He wasn't taking a nap. He didn't fall asleep. It wasn't a fluke. It wasn't a medical phenomenon. He was all the way dead, and he came back to life by the power of God. That's what our faith is based off of. No matter how much evidence we have of the resurrection of Jesus, and there's a lot, There's a lot of evidence that Jesus was an actual person that lived and died and resurrected. No matter how much evidence we have of the resurrection, it still takes faith 
for us to believe in his resurrection and to be spiritually transformed. It's the basis of everything that we believe as Christians. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 16 through 19, it says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. It's saying, like, if dead people can't come back to life, then Jesus didn't come back to life. And it says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. And that's really what I want to talk about today is like, for those of you who are unbelievers, I would pray that today you would come to faith in Jesus and in his resurrection and the power that's offered to you. And for those of us who are believers, I pray that we wouldn't treat church and treat our lives as normal. Because what this says in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, man, if you just believe in Jesus just for this life, just to like be a, like a little self-help thing for you, it's, it's wise and encouraging words from this spiritual guru who lived in the first century, it says your life should be pitied more than anybody. It means that people that see you drive in from 150 Highway and walk into this church should pity you if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. Like, oh, look at those poor Christians believing in this thing that didn't happen. Look at how they're wasting their time sitting in this church and there is no power. But we believe that Christ is raised, that he wasn't just a teacher, he wasn't just a great example, but he's actually God himself who was all the way dead and is now alive. That's something to get excited about. Black church, we like, amen. Give me something. We got an organ or something. Like, y'all got to wake up. Man, one of my favorite people in the world is Deion Sanders. I love Deion Sanders. When I was in, like, the sixth grade, I had his shoes. Like, he's a two-sport athlete, dominated in Major League Baseball, dominated in the National Football League. And he's always been a person that I've looked up to. Now, as a coach, he puts his reputation on the line that he can be a great coach at a Power 5 school. So last week, when Deion Sanders um, with the Colorado Buffaloes, he's the head coach there, when he beat TCU, like, my heart was just alive. Like, I woke up last Sunday just watching more and more highlights, listening to what Dion's talking about. For me, it was like when I would listen to my dad and my uncles and everybody talk about Muhammad Ali. It's like this bigger-than-life character who dominates in their sport, but they also, like, stand for their community, stand for their people, like they're bigger than their sport. So it's just like, man, I just felt like, ah, oh, Deion Sanders, like he's just dominating. He's proving everybody wrong. He's doing what everybody says he can't do. But at the same time, Deion Sanders and his legacy, his leadership, even his belief in God cannot live inside of me. As much as we have people that we look up to politically, socially, in our families, they can't put their life inside of us and make their power live in us. And that's what Jesus offers to us in his resurrection, that in the places where you feel the deepest of grief, some of you have lost family members this year. Some of you found out that you have cancer. Some of you feel death in your finances. 
Some of you feel death. It's like, God, I've prayed for a job. I've prayed for a calling. I want to do something that I love, and God has not answered that prayer, and you feel death. Some of you feel brokenness in your relationships, and it's like, God, this thing feels all the way dead. I can't, I can't do this. I don't know what life even feels like. God, I'm praying to you, and it feels like you're not answering me. You're not hearing me. You're not guiding me. You're not showing me which way to go. But our God is a God who beat death, beat it down, and gave us life and can live inside of us by the power of his spirit. Like, that's what real life is. Uh, one of my favorite presidents is Abraham Lincoln. You guys thought I was going to say Obama, didn't you? <laughs> He's one of my favorites, too. This has nothing to do with the sermon, but I took my kids to Branson last weekend. And they had a, they had a, a whole store, a Trump store, with, like, Trump on a jet ski. Has anybody been down to Branson and seen that? It was amazing. That's nothing to do with the sermon. <clears throat> Abraham Lincoln is one of my favorite presidents. Abraham Lincoln um, is one of my favorite presidents because he was, like, thrown into the presidency, and as soon as he's the president, like, the whole country is, like, falling apart. Half the country doesn't want to be in the union. He's got to try to bring people back together. We're in the midst of a civil war, and he has to lead through that. One of the things I love about uh, Abraham Lincoln is he actually grew up in poverty, his dad was in such bad debt that his dad sold Abraham Lincoln away several times to work off his debts. So Abraham Lincoln would go out and work for farmers and work on other people's property to pay off his father's debts. One of the things that people said about him that, that he worked for was that they would always catch him slacking on the job because he was reading. He read all the time. He memorized tons of Shakespeare. He memorized huge parts of the Bible. All, uh, his entire life, he would over and over and over again read the Bible from cover to cover. Um, one of my favorite writers on Abraham Lincoln, her name is uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin, and she wrote a book called Team of Rivals. It's one of my favorite books. If you get a chance to read that book, it's a great book. She talks about how his belief in the afterlife is what drove him to be great. Because although he interacted with the Bible and read it cover to cover over and over, he did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. He did not believe in heaven. He did not believe in hell. He did not believe that there was anything that happened after you died, and that drove him to be great. He believed that the only way that people would remember him is if he did great things. The only way that his life would matter is if he was wildly successful and that everybody remembered his name. And he was great at almost everything that he did. Although he had no belief in the resurrection, he had no belief in the afterlife. At the same time, when Abraham Lincoln and his wife lost his son, they actually performed a seance to connect with the dead spirit of his son. So out of desperation, even though there was no hope in a resurrection, no hope in heaven, they still had this nagging in their hearts, in their grief, in the, in the death of their son, that they wanted to connect with him. And I believe that in our cultural moment, we have less people that are like refuting supernatural and powerful things and more people in your community that are way more excited about connecting with supernatural things. People that will practice Reiki, 
people that will char- try to charge crystals and have good energy, people that will literally are having seances and trying to connect with dead loved ones, people that in their grief, in their despair, in their lack of hope, in their lack of promise are trying to connect with something that is beyond this life because there is no hope if you don't know Jesus. There's a little restaurant not too far from um, my wife and I's house called Billy's Grocery. We eat there too much. Um, good food, nice atmosphere. But there's a, there's a business right next to it that you can literally go there and, and do self-care, and it's a spa. And the whole premise of the spa is that it helps you connect with dead relatives or dead loved ones. So it's like while you, while you uh, get this massage, we're going to help you conjure and we're going to help you connect with those who have passed away. And what I would offer to you is that as you try to connect with your neighbors, your friends, people that you're trying to tell about Jesus, that there is actually a place in their hearts where they need the resurrection. They need a hope. They need to know that there is a power beyond this life. But many people refute it when it comes to Jesus but not in its actuality when they want to connect with others. In Acts 17, Paul is preaching to people that believe all different things, all these different religions, all these different ways of connecting with God. And in Acts 17, 32 through 34, he says, or, or the text says, when the people heard about the resurrection of the dead, like they were, they were kind of good with a lot of what Paul was saying and like, oh, this is good about God and, and we can trust him, we can listen to him. But it says this, When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. But others said, we'd like to hear you again about this. So Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed. And it's like some people, when they get to that part about the resurrection, it's like, all right, that's the part where it's like, I got to drop this thing off. And some of us, even as Christians, we do that. It's like, man, I can read the book of Proverbs, I can read my Bible, it gives me good advice. Jesus was a good example, he was a sage, he was wise, he was a great teacher. But no, Jesus is God who exists eternally and can live inside of us by the power of his resurrection. So in our text we see three different groups of people deal with and respond to Jesus' resurrection. The first group that we see are the soldiers. In Matthew 28. The second group that we see are the religious leaders. And the third group that we see are the women that were following Jesus. Now, Jesus had interacted with a lot of different soldiers as you read through the Gospels. There's a soldier in Matthew chapter 8 who, a Roman soldier who had a, a daughter that was demonized and she was sick. And this soldier believed in faith that Jesus could heal his daughter, and Jesus did it. We see at Jesus' crucifixion, there was, a, there was a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier, who responded in faith and said, surely this is the Son of God. But the soldiers in Matthew 28 saw these angels and saw the empty tomb, and they were struck with fear. They took the easy way out. They had to choose if they would lie about the resurrection or live for Jesus. They were there. They saw these angels. They saw the empty tomb, and they lived in fear, and they lived and helped push forward a lie. And many of us are the same way. Like, there's supernatural experiences we have. We've seen God come through. We've seen him work. We've seen him move. And then we go through seasons of unbelief. 
of practical atheism, not believing in the power in the resurrection of Jesus, not living with conviction. Um, one of my favorite movies is Hacksaw Ridge, and it's a pretty gory movie. I like war movies. I love World War II movies, Band of Brothers, Saving Private Ryan, all that stuff. There's a guy named Desmond Doss who, through his faith, had a huge impact with his fellow soldiers in World War II at Hacksaw Ridge. Desmond Doss lived as a soldier with conviction by his faith. He goes into World War II with no weapon, no gun. He had to fight his commanders on this. He had to fight his fellow soldiers on this. They wanted him to carry a gun, but he wanted to have an impact in the war, but he was like, I'm living by my faith, and I'm living by my conviction, and I'm living by what I believe God is saying in his word. That's a soldier that takes his position and responds to God in faith. But we don't see that from these soldiers in Matthew 28. We see that they're struck with fear, that they actually take a bribe. They take the easy way out. Like the the religious leaders offered them money and said, hey, if you will just say that you were asleep and that the disciples stole his body, then we'll protect you and we'll help you. The only thing is, is like a Roman soldier could literally die for that. Like if you, if you tell your commanding officer, like Rome was great at everything, infrastructure, roads, politics, even crucifixion. Crucifixion is something that the Romans created and perfected because they wanted to find the best way and most gruesome and torturous way to draw out death and kill somebody. They wanted to be great at everything. Their military was great. And they followed a strict code. These soldiers, for falling asleep on the job, could pay the penalty of death. And for them, instead of believing the resurrection and submitting to it in faith, they took an easier way out and took a large sum of money to tell a lie instead of believing in the resurrection and live for Jesus. The second group of people that we see responding to Jesus' resurrection in Matthew 28 are the religious leaders. These folks, they had a system, and they threw money at their problem. Their problem was Jesus. They responded with pride and with earthly power. But Jesus wants us to respond with surrender and heavenly power. These religious leaders in Jesus' time, this wasn't the first time that they tried to just throw money at a problem. Like they threw money to Judas and helped Judas betray Jesus so that they could kill Jesus. Now they're doing the same thing. They're like, man, if we can just throw enough money at this problem, this dude Jesus who said he was going to resurrect, then we can, we, can, we can lie about this and we can make it go away. But Jesus calls us to surrender our lives, and we don't, we don't throw our money, we don't throw our resources, we don't throw our, our spirituality around in order to earn God's power, in order to keep a religious position, in order to keep relevance in a culture. Like the money, the lights, the buildings are not what brings God's presence. Faith is what brings God's presence. Our laws are not what bring God's presence. Our government is not going to just act like Christians when they're not Christians. 
We get so mad at people that think differently than us and that vote differently than us and and propagate laws that are different than what we want, but we're not going to win in our culture by creating laws to try to force people into what we know is true and what we are convicted on. But you know what will win is relationships with your neighbors, relationships with the young lady when she's considering doing something wrong with her life, relationships with young men when they're considering doing something wrong with their life. We can, we can be keyboard warriors. We can be on Facebook. We can shout and scream about politics, about faith. People are listening to relationships. They're not listening to our Facebook posts. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 11, Paul is talking about his religious pedigree. He says, for we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. He says, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. What he's saying is, is like, man, I grew up really, really religious. I'm circumcised. I was born in the right place at the right time with the right family. I did all the right things. He goes on to say this. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Regarding the law, I was a Pharisee. That means he carried the law to the nth degree. He says, regarding zeal, I even persecuted the church. Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, I was blameless. He's saying, I was really, really religious. I went to vacation Bible school. My grandfather was a pastor. My uncle was a deacon. I went to Awana. I memorized all the verses. I knew all the songs. I led worship. I pastored a church. I did all these great things. But listen to this. He says, but everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Listen to this, verse 10. My goal is to know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. He sees that there is life beyond this life. There is a hope beyond this life. There is power that's beyond our own ability to be spiritual. There is God living inside of us, making us righteous, making us right, giving us the power to love, the power to be kind, the power to to preach the word of God. He's saying not all my religious activities and where I came from and everything that I did in my own power, but it's Christ's power that I want. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And in America, it is all too easy for us to rely on our resources, to rely on our own energy, to rely on that cup of coffee, to rely on our smarts, our business plans, our boards, our friends, our network, who we know, our power. 
And Paul says, I don't, I don't care about who I know, where I came from, what I did. What I care about is the pow- knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection. The last folks that we'll look at that responded to Jesus' resurrection are the women in Matthew 28. And I love how God, through his word, shows us the power of God working through women. In, in the first century, women had very few rights. Many of them were treated as property. They couldn't vote. They couldn't witness in court. They have very little value, but Jesus decided to reveal himself to these women and have them declare to the disciples that Jesus was resurrected. He showed himself to them first. And I think that there's a few things that we can learn from these women. Number one, they showed up. They came to the tomb. Like, you got to think about this. Like, most of these folks that were following Jesus, man, for three years of their life, like, they gave up everything. They thought Jesus was, like, going to conquer as a military leader and that he was going to set everybody straight and that they were just going to be a part of this powerful inauguration of his kingdom. But then all of a sudden, he's dead. Not only that, but they, they witnessed this traumatically. Can, can you imagine what it would be like to see somebody that you admire, that you love, that you have based your whole life on, traumatically killed, beaten, Intestines falling out, nails through his hands and feet, embarrassed, shamed, hanging naked on a cross, and now he is dead. It's like, what did I just commit my life to? Like if you're a part of a church or a part of a business or a part of a school or a part of a team, and and then all of a sudden that thing just goes away. You're part of a marriage, all of a sudden that thing is done. You're part of a family, and it's like, man, my family's not what I thought it was. This thing is all the way done. This thing is dead. What, like, how did I just give 20 years of my life to that? How did I just give six months of my life to that, 10 years of my life? Like, it, it, a massive loss for God's, Jesus' disciples. But they showed up. They're still at the tomb. They didn't just walk away. They came to the tomb. The second thing is they worshiped Jesus. Jesus showed up, and they fell at his feet. When the angels showed up, they didn't worship the angels. They worshiped Jesus. They fell at his feet, and they gave him their time, their energy, their love, their focus. And that's what worship is. When you are in the middle of a dead situation, many times we have to respond in faith in worship, even when you don't feel that God is there. You got to close the door to your bathroom, go down to your basement, turn the music up in your car, and like, God, you said you were never going to let me down. God, you said that you love me. You said that there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God, not angels, not demons, not death. Nothing in this world can separate me. You said that I am more than a conqueror. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And you declare truth back to God. That is worship. They surrendered to Jesus. They obeyed his instructions because they had no earthly credibility, but they were given kingdom credibility. As women, they didn't have much of a voice. They didn't have much power, but Jesus gave them power. You're the ones that are going to go tell my disciples that I'm alive. 
And many times in our lives, we feel that in the midst of death, in the midst of uh, um, a lack of faith, we feel like we have no voice. We feel like we have no place. But Jesus said, you're the one I choose in the midst of your fear, in the midst of being uncomfortable, in the midst of transition. I am with you, and you're the one I'm choosing to have kingdom credibility to go share with the world who I am. I love baptisms because it reminds me of Romans chapter 6, verse 4, where it says, Therefore, we were buried with Christ by baptism into death. And when we're baptized, we admit, like, God, I'm dead. I need life. Like, I can't do this on my own. Bury me. Bury my expectations. Bury my life. Bury all the ways that I've been trying that are failing. And it says we do that in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Colossians 2 says, And when you were dead in trespasses and in the circumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave all of our trespasses. He eradicated the certificate of debt with all its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Meaning any spiritual demonic attack that is against your life, that is against your family, any voice that says you can't be alive, that you cannot be a child of God, any voice that says you have to live in fear, any voice that says that you cannot move forward, that you cannot be healed, Jesus says, by my resurrection, I disarmed the power of the enemy. Meaning that his word and his truth and his actions and his promises have overcome. You are weaponized as a Christian against angels of darkness, against the suicidal thoughts that your neighbor's having. When you pray over them and you lay your hand on their back, the power of God is there in the name of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus. Ephesians 1 says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Meaning not only are we asking God for wisdom, discretion, discernment, and to make wise, knowledgeable decisions, but we also ask for revelation. God, speak to me in my dreams. God, speak to me when I open my Bible. God, speak to me when I go to church. I'm going long because this is the last service. I'm adding all kind of stuff in here. Not just give me wisdom, but God, give me revelation. Speak to me supernaturally in ways that are only from you, God. I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. He exercised his power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at, the right hand, at his right hand in the heavens." When we're asking for power, we're asking for the same power that took Jesus, who was all the way dead, and made him alive. In the middle of your addiction, in the middle of your struggle, in the middle of your marriage, in the middle of being in a high school where you feel like you're the only person that believes the way you do, you feel like you're a nerd, you feel like nobody thinks you're cool, in the middle of where you are, 
the power of Jesus is there for you. Get up. Get up out of the grave in the name of Jesus. You are not in death. You are called to life. You are called to belief. You are called to faith. You are called to lead. I got to stop somewhere. Let's pray. (laughs) Um, Jesus, thank you so much for not staying dead and for giving us life. And I thank you that when we call on your name, Jesus, it's real. And you answer prayer and you give us power. And God, I pray that we will be like these women in this scripture that show up, that worship you, and surrender our lives to you, Jesus. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.